Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. Get it on Stitcher. Get it on iTunes. Wherever you get podcasts from, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line to discuss all things NHL, TSN lead color analyst, former NHLer, Ray Ferrara. What's up, Ray? How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, enjoying a rainy Wednesday in Vancouver. I was hoping to go hit golf balls today, but it is November 14th, so really, <laughs> you know, you can't I should be... probably put, I should lower the bar on my expectation here. Wow, hey, it's getting down here in Vegas. I mean, it was it's 12 and 15 Celsius. Like, it is getting chilly. So Yeah, well, we are, uh, we are not blessed with that. We are a lot greener, but we are not blessed with that. No, no, not at all. Uh, Liam McGuire on the show today. Ray, how do you know Liam? And uh, maybe before we get him on, just to quickly tell everybody what his deal is. Well, Liam, um, if you've been around the NHL or hockey in the, you know, in the business of it or in the, um, you know, I play it obviously, but Liam's a, a hockey historian. He's a kind of a super fan. He has got a, like an incredible recall of knowledge. He's super passionate about the Hall of Fame. Um, he's an author. He's got a really cool, interesting book coming out. And um, so when Hall of Fame weekend came up, I thought, oh, this would be a really good time to, yeah. to call Liam and see if he'd come on. And he said, yeah. And so uh, we'll have him on a little bit later in the show. Fantastic. Yeah. I uh, can't wait to talk to him. Um, all right, Lorraine, um, before we get to Liam, I guess the biggest news the NHL concussion settlement uh, that I broke uh, the other day, uh, they finally decided on uh, on the amount of money to the ex-players, everybody who joined into the lawsuit, and it uh, looks like it's going to be 22 k each, plus uh, a medical procedure cares, medical care afterwards. If you qualify um, for, for some supplements, you'll get some. Uh, not everyone is happy, uh, Daniel Carcillo being one of them. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole process, on the settlement itself, and, and the guys that made Maybe are still aren't happy. Well, um, okay. So I'll, I'll, there's so many things here, Steve. But yep. just to to kind of summarize it a little bit, um, because really this can be a show onto itself. And I'd like to get Dan Carcillo on actually to to discuss him to to discuss with him, um, you know, what he thinks about it, which is not very positive, and where he would like things to go, and where actually where he where it all came from, but. There's no question we didn't have and were not informed anywhere in my playing career of the seriousness of concussion and the possible ramifications going forward. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. I can say that with, with not even a sliver of doubt right. in that statement. You got knocked out. You got thumped in the head. Um, you, know, you got elbowed in the head. You got slammed into the glass. And the term, of course, was you got your bell rung. Uh-huh. And you'd get a couple of Advil, and out you'd go again. Couldn't, you'd say, oh, I'm a little foggy. Like, just think of that, that term. Yeah. We use it all the time. Yeah, I'm a little foggy. 
Well, that means you've got a brain injury. But back then, we didn't hear about it. We didn't know about it. I don't know if they were informed about it or not. I don't know. However, we weren't. So the lawsuit comes along, and they lost the case in the summer. Um, A judge ruled that they could not um, because of all the different laws in different states um, they couldn't have a class action suit against the National Hockey League, which is the NFL was able to do it, mm-hmm. but the NHL for some reason was not. And as soon as they lost that class action suit, that meant that each case had to be tried separately. And so let's say you're a player um, that's having hard times. You've got post-concussion. Um, you're, you're having trouble remembering things. You need help. Mm-hmm. Like, so these yeah. guys need help. Where are they going to get a half a million dollars or a million dollars to fight a lawsuit against a a well-heeled opponent like the NHL? So I think the lawyers did the best they could to try and come up with a a lawsuit or a a settlement and and a treatment program going forward that they thought could help the most people. I can see why nobody's really very happy with it. 22K doesn't do you any good. Yeah. Um, or does very little good. Um, the testing program, I'd like to see how comprehensive it is, because that would matter, right? Like mm-hmm. whether it's um, very helpful or not, or just something that you talk about. So it's, um, I was surprised that the number was as low as it was. Yep. But being far from a lawyer, um, you know, there must have been some pressures on them to settle. Now, the NHL can opt out yeah. if, players, if players don't all agree. I think there was 140-ish players mm-hmm. that were in the lawsuit. Well, we know one's not, and that's Dan Cancelo. Yeah. Yep. Now, I don't know if others will. I don't know if they would cancel it because one or two or a handful of guys say, no, I'm not going in, which would mean that they would opt out of the settlement and then they would be free to sue on their own. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's tough stuff, man. You know, so yeah. it's tough stuff because at no point in my in my career or in my ascent as I was trying to be a pro player, at no time did I think, man, I could end up with a brain injury. Yeah, like at no time mm-hmm. I did worry that, man, what if I blow my knee out or what if I break my leg? I used to worry about that stuff. I, I never once, not once worried about getting a concussion or worried about um, having a longer-term brain injury. I never did. Yeah. Never worried about well, one. That, and, and the fact is nobody told us. Should they have? I don't know. Well, my th- Nobody told us. I'm torn because I don't think it was some grand conspiracy where the NHL knew about these long-term effects. Because the NFL did. There was documents that show the NFL knew. Yeah. True, but and they they well so but that's different. The NFL doctors and teams knew they had that information. Yeah, but the mid '80s, right? There was about the mid '80s. They were like, "Hey guys, like we're having some, you know, memory issues." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they and they chose to bury it, and that's maybe why their settlement turned out to be so much bigger, well over a billion dollars. Yeah, Um, I don't know if there is stuff like that. Obviously not, or not uncovered anyway. I don't know. Yeah, but. In, that's one of the differences between the NFL and the NHL lawsuit. Have you talked to any ex-teammates of yours, and you don't have to name them, that are that are in this, and have they sort of 
uh, let their emotions out to you on how they're doing in life and why they're doing this? And, and, and uh, I've not, I've not talked to anybody that's, um, you know, in relation to the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I do know, I'll say four or five guys from the time I left home in junior yep. um, through my pro career that are in really tough shape. Yep. And yep. they're struggling on a day-to-day basis. Right. I know that. And, and, and struggling and, physically, you mean? Not so much just with life no, itself, but struggling. Like, no, no, not not that, oh, they don't have a job. That's yep. different. There's, there's other guys like that, too. And yep. That's something different. That's but something I'm talking different. about struggling with either post-concussion mm-hmm. or struggling with, um, you know, memory loss. Yep. Yep. Or, yep. you know, yep. like the physical stuff that we all deal with. And I know nobody really gives a damn, but because they're like, yeah, you knew and you chose, but... You know, so, like, for example, I, I got out of the game healthy for the most part, really lucky. I have a left knee that is that is terrible, that eventually I'll have to get replaced. Mm-hmm. And I have my right ankle, um, which uh, I dislocated and broke my leg right down at the bottom on my right yep. ankle in, in uh, November of 1992. Um, in the last year or so, um, when the weather's like it is now, like each step I take, I feel it. Yeah. And it hurts. And it, and it's, and not, Oh gee, that's a little twinge. Mm-hmm. Like it hurts. Yep. And, and that's part, I, I view that as that's part of the bill for me to pay of having the life that I've had. Yeah. And so yep. I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, it sucks, but cause there's certain things I just can't do anymore. And I don't think it's going to get better as I get closer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe so. Yes, I'm not much on the medical stuff, right, but I don't right, think so. Right. So, uh, but the people that the, there's people that really need help. Mm-hmm. I hope they can get it. I don't. I don't know if the lawsuit settlement provides the testing and treatment. I don't. I don't know enough about it because I'll be honest. Um, when I saw this stuff going on when it first came to public light, um, my knowledge was very very slim mm-hmm. because it's not something that had affected me. Yeah. yeah. You, you, if you think about the game you played, which by the way, you, you, you were gritty, you were in the corners you weren't fighting guys, but you did. And, and, and you know, you played a, you played a physical game as much as you could for your size. And then you look at your length of your career and you look at the fact that once you hung it up, you went right into broadcasting and you've enjoyed this terrific career broadcasting games first for the Oilers to ESPN. Now, of course, TSN for all these years, I mean, like you said, you've you've been blessed. You've been lucky, unbelievable. Oh, I I, I couldn't Steve. I I couldn't draw up uh, a life path better than what I've been blessed with. I mean, I had a, amazing parents, a great family. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of money, but man, we were so supported. We knew we were loved. We were taken care of. Um, you know, I got to live my dream. I mean, how many people get to do that? I get to live yeah. my dream. And then I got to come into this job where I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> I get to just talk about job. hockey. Nobody, right, right. I talk about hockey and nobody hits me. Right. Like, this is great. Yeah. And so, and then through it, you know, I've got four kids and, yeah. you know, extraordinarily lucky. And there's lots that aren't. Yep. And they love the game as much as I did. Yeah. Yep. But for whatever reason, it's not the same. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm really interested because I know there's some people that say, oh, Carcillo could just, should just shut up. But why should he? I, I am what he believes in. He has got conviction about what he believes. He's seen some things, including losing one of his best friends, Steve Montador, to suicide. And I would say 
that that his voice is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. He believes in this too much, and I support I, I support Dan's efforts to to try and get as much help for as many people as possible. I think it's I think it's actually quite noble. Yeah, I'm one of those guys, Ray. I don't think he should shut up. I don't, by no means, you know, he's a, he's an NHL alumni. He can talk about what he wants, but I, I do have confliction, Ray. I'll be honest with the way he played the game and the suspensions, and then him, you know, sort of coming out. I, I just, I'm just conflicted. That's all. Just as a fan, I don't but, know. But him. What's he coming out with that I don't? That well, nobody told me I could get brain injuries. Well, if yeah, he could play like a jackass. He <laughs> hate his game. Yeah. Like I, I hated the way that he played a lot of times. Okay, all right, that's right? that's all I'm saying, right? Yeah. yeah. But so, okay, for example, one of the players that, as a broadcaster, I couldn't stand watching play because I think all he did was try to hurt people, and he confronted me once, and we had an argument about it, and mm-hmm. I told him I don't like the way you play, and he said, "Well, too bad," basically, uh, with Matt Cook. Okay. Well, I don't think Matt Cook shouldn't be looked after. Right. I don't think Matt. Like, why would I? I mean, I yeah. didn't like him as a player. I can separate whatever Matt Cook is like as a person, mm-hmm. as a father, as a husband, as opposed to what he's like as a player. To me, they're they're just two different things. Okay, sure. And I just use Matt Cook as an example because, and I don't know how, you know, I, I think he's doing fine. I've not heard any else, mm-hmm. any, uh, anything else, but I hated the way he played. Right. I hated yep. him. Yep. And that's why I'm using him as an example. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a tough subject for and, and you know I, I'm with you when I read the the settlement. I'm kind of like, oh boy, I don't know how happy everyone's going to be with that, and I guess that remains to be seen. All right, uh, let's go on to Liam. Let's talk to Liam McGuire a little bit, and uh, see well, he's going to have better energy and a better. We're talking about more fun stuff than this. Yeah, so yeah, let's, that I can guarantee. Let's move right into Liam. Uh, all right, here he is. All right, now, as promised on the uh, Paul Pocky podcast with Ray Ferraro, the number one NHL historian, trivia expert, a published author, uh, a guest that Ray suggested we get on ASAP, and we're happy to welcome to the show, Liam McGuire. What's up, Liam? How are you, man? Hey, Steve. I'm, I'm great, brother. I'm great. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for having me. It's a real honor. Well, Steve, uh, the reason I thought, like, okay, there's many reasons why you need to talk to Liam, but... One of the reasons was we were just through Hall of Fame weekend, and yeah. I'm going to start with an easy one because I think probably most of us agree on this, and most of us can't figure out why it is. But why do you think the NHL has games on Hall of Fame weekend? Like on the Monday, yeah, yeah. on the induction day, Liam, why would they yeah. do that? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question, Ray and and uh, and Steve. I'm assuming you've probably previously discussed it yourself. It's uh, uh, certainly uh, since the social media world has really taken off in the last ten or eleven years, uh, or a little less than that, I guess. But it's, it's really garnered a lot of attention online. A lot of people and a lot of influential people. I call them anyway, and I include you in that, Ray, that have commented on it. Uh, you would like to think that somehow, some way, the NHL would would widen up to that. I understand building availability and everything else. My goodness, uh, with the season stretching as many months as it does and the way it's condensed for different teams and the travel abroad for regular season games overseas now and everything else, and let alone Olympic years if we ever go back again, but we did already participate in five, all the different things that can be done. And yet on induction night, when you have the biggest 
the, 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 the most in, the, the most incredible people that have ever played the game are are are, are, being, are getting their, their highest honor for what they did for their livelihood in some cases for several decades and and don't have the entire league's attention is absolutely baffling to me i i i don't have an answer ray uh your thought would be as as cognizant as probably anybody's in the game given how close you are broadcasting still to this day and talking to as many as you do i've never certainly been able to get any type of what i consider a uh a, a solid answer i will say this you know seems you're gonna you have me on here i'll say this i i i have a few dealings with the nhl from time to time I'm um I'm a very small player in a very very I'm a very very small fish in a very very big pond. But occasionally I do have an opportunity to converse with several several fairly high ranking people in the National Hockey League and and dealing with them sometimes on topics or different things different matters. It's frustrating, you know. Uh, if you don't get you just you feel you're being paid lip service sometimes, and I, I think at the end of the day they feel Ray that they. Uh, and Steve, that they they run this thing with almost uh, borderline full autonomy, and they'll damn well do as they damn well please. And mm-hmm. and uh, if they feel there's going to be games that night, they'll go ahead and do it. My only hope is with the continued dialogue on social media, as uh, as, as Twitter and, and and some of these other sites uh, continue to garner attention, and more and more people as every day, week, month, and year go by, that uh, they'll they'll say, hey, you know what? The, the court of public opinion is speaking. And we need to smarten the hell up here and, uh, and, and, and do the right thing and not have any games on, on that night. So I love at the Hall of Fame when, I mean, my favorite part, I think most people's, is once we see the classes um, revealed, is to watch their speeches and to see how emotional the guys get and ladies get now that talk about their life's work um, to something they could probably never really dream of. Um, and then they're inducted in. I loved Marty Brodeur's speech because Marty's always yeah. been the most cool of characters, and just to see him so emotional and raw, I, I just I loved it. Do you over the years now? For those who don't know Liam, is the historical knowledge that he has, the reference points you have, is really kind of remarkable. Do you have? a couple or some, I should have probably prepped you for that, but that you would think no, of it, you go, man, I remember that. I remember that speech or I remember that night at the hall because the hall to me is, is a pretty special place. I wish it was for, you know, I, I wish it was even bigger than it is like even a bigger platform than it is. But is there any that stand out to you over the years, Liam, that you go, Oh man, that one was, was amazing. Well, there's a few for sure, Ray. Uh, I I think even recently, um, Eric Lindros calling his brother Brett up on stage, I thought was uh, yeah. was was pretty incredible. I think those of us who who have spent a lot of time around the game feel that um, Eric's uh, induction was a few years uh, overdue. But to see him go in and and there was sort of a tinge of that in there, I thought through his speech. But him calling his brother up, anyone who knows the family, I think can speak to how close they are. And I thought that was really cool. I don't know if there is one that resonates more for me than Roger Nielsen's, given that he, he passed away not long after. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a sad juxtaposition because the selection committee, for whatever reason, didn't get that timing right with Pat Burns yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think his speech would have been absolutely spectacular. He had an opportunity, and as it was, we had Roger Nielsen up there mimicking <laughs> He was conversing with Harold Ballard. That's an absolute gem. I mean, that's kind of be oh, one of the I forgot that. I forgot about that. I forgot about oh, that. 
That was so good. But I mean, like your point about Marty, and then the guys that go up there and and uh, and and are emotional certainly uh, always resonate with me as well. I know Larry Robinson's always sticks out for me personally because I've known Larry is a very dear friend. Um, I knew his his late father and late mother, his late brother Brian, and I see his brother Mo all the time. Who played one game in the NHL, the first game ever that the Winnipeg Jets hosted in the NHL was against the Montreal Canadiens, and Mo was in the lineup with Larry that night, nah. regular season <laughs> game in Winnipeg. So it's pretty cool. So Larry's speech because it it kind of touched. I I I grew up rural, not far from the farm that where Larry grew up, and and so that really resonated with me, Ray, on a, on a personal front and. And I've certainly checked out some of the other ones historically over time, including a guy by the name of uh, Bert Olmstead. He was a multiple Stanley Cup winner um, and in the 50s and 60s, and, and he, was a, he was a coach in the NHL with the Oakland Seals and, and uh, a real character. Tough, hard-nosed left winger, could play any way he wanted. 6'2", about 188 pounds. He could throw him, but he also was talented as hell. And uh, he, he was another guy that had his outs with the NHL for many, many years. And when he went up on stage, he said, I knew some of those bastards would have to die before I get in here. <laughs> I thought, man, that's the greatest. That's the absolute greatest ever. So there's a few, you know, that strike that uh, stand out for me for sure, Ray. I mean, I I, I do uh, I watch them intently, as you just said you do, and I I put a lot of a lot of stock in that because uh, this is the sport that's been my my uh, you know the hockey is everything to me. And and I, I the, the men and now the women uh, who who uh, championed that at the at the highest levels I have the utmost respect for so I'm uh, I'm a very big supporter of those that do make it in and uh, very big supporter of those that uh, maybe hopefully will go in in the not too distant future. Which is probably a pretty good segue to something that you know we disagree on and it bugs yeah. me to disagree on it, Liam. Because I know, buddy, it's all good. In, in, in September. <laughs> Of nineteen eight or of uh, nineteen seventy two, like every other eight year old kid, I was I was running out of our school um, in the morning when Paul Henderson scored with you know with thirty seconds left to secure the victory for Canada against the Russians. We were running around screaming like idiots. We were so happy. I mean, it was, I used to I listened to that series on a transistor radio because the games were on during the day a lot of times. And I couldn't, you know, my parents wouldn't let me skip out of school. I was only eight. They were like, what the hell are you? Get to school, right? So you think Paul Henderson should go in. I think there should be a separate Paul Henderson spot, but not a a full induction. Maybe it's split in hairs. I don't know. But it's something that we kind of agree on. Build me a case. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, it is difficult sometimes to have the discussion with guys like yourself because you played at a much higher level as a player than Paul did. And, I mean, uh, had he stayed solely in the NHL for the seven more years of pro that he played, in the uh, six in the WHA, he came back, had a cup of coffee with the Atlanta Flames in 81 and called it a day, finished down in the Amer- in the uh, Central Hockey League, I believe, that year, and then, and then retired after 17 years of pro. Yeah, his, 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 his NHL numbers obviously would have been a, a little bit better, but uh, unto themselves, his NHL career is, is not Hall of Fame worthy. So where this debate and discussion or whatever you want to call it boils down to is what weight you put on 72. And 
in my opinion, uh, that goal and that series, the comeback as well, because what people people don't know, and it's not their fault. And now we're many generations later. You were eight, I was thirteen, so I'm a few years older than you. But uh, at the end of the day, if you didn't live through it at all, then most people don't really understand the weight or the scope or the magnitude of what that series represented. This was a month long. It was four games in Canada, followed by travel to Sweden for two games, which were the first one a a rather relatively routine Canadian win. The second one, an absolute gong show, turned into an absolute disaster on the ice where where they had all sorts of issues with – including with their their own ambassadors that were in Sweden and everything else, where a game the Canada tied, then over to Moscow to play the four remaining games, of which Canada loses the first game, wins game six, seven, and eight to win the series, with Paul Henderson scoring the winner in game six, the winner in game seven in a four-on-four with 203 to play, where he beat every Russian on the ice, then roofed it over Tretiak. Otherwise, game eight means nothing. And then the game and series winner, his seventh goal of the of the tournament, of the event, of the series, in eight games, and his third consecutive game winner with 34 seconds to play. And as a result of that, it's my contention, Ray, that builds you a case, and this is where I start, is that the impact of that goal was so significant that every single international hockey player today cashing a paycheck at any level in North America owes their very existence to be able to play pro hockey here to the Summit Series. Because of how that series played out, the drama, the comeback, and the heroics, that led to an insatiable appetite from fans the world over. Here's another thing. People forget. They think it was just Canadians that watched this thing. The entire Soviet Union were riveted to their TV. How do I know that? I was on via satellite on Soviet TV. I did a special thing for them, a hockey trivia thing years ago. A long, boring story, but suffice to say, part of the deal I made with them is I wanted to talk to people who were alive with the series who were just regular Soviet hockey fans that could, you know, through a translator, would be able to talk to me and give me their feelings and feedback on it. Swedes watched. Finns watched. The Czechoslovakians watched. Uh, they, they, the, the Americans in the northern part of, this, of the country watched the series. And those that couldn't watch it waited with bated breath to find out who was going to win this thing because they knew it was for hockey supremacy, regardless of the fact that it wasn't a world championship or it wasn't an Olympic. It was the first time that our best pros, minus a couple of guys, were, were, were icing uh, our, our best team that we could. So we come back and we win this thing. The World Junior starts in 1974 because of the Summit Series. The Canada Cup starts in 1976 because of the Summit Series. Alan Eagleson brought in the Canada Cup to continue on after the success of the Summit Series and the insatiable appetite from hockey fans the world over, which now brought in the other country. Challenge Cup in 79 was all against the Russians, three-game series. Back to the Canada Cup in 81, 84, 87, and 91. The World Cup in 96, 2004, 2016. And as we know, the pros going to the Olympics in 1998. And as every year in the 80s went by, and now you're in your era now, you probably know this, more and more pros were being allowed to play in, the, in, in, in Olympic events. At first, it was just minor league guys. For example, Michael Ruzioni, who scored a miracle on ice. He was a pro. He's 26 years old. He wasn't an American college kid. He, he, he was a pro. They had another guy on the team, too. So, uh, Snyder, Buzz Snyder, same thing. So 26. Doesn't matter. Fact is, is that the Summit Series, how it played out, the drama, the comeback, and the impact 
of that series, largely led by the heroics of Paul Henderson, vastly changed the entire landscape of what was going to happen with respect to international hockey players in the NHL and in the WHA, the top two leagues, certainly in North America at that time, and dare I say the world, I don't think that's a stretch to say in 1972-3 or 4, that they were the two best leagues in the world. So and Liam, that, can't to me, is so impactful Liam, enough, Ray, that he should be in. <laughs> but shouldn't, but... I, I'm on board, I'm on board. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, you saw, I'm, I'm like, pretty soon, like, I'm, I'm going there to, to talk to the committee here, um, which, of course, I have no impact on. But shouldn't there be, like, what you've, what you've laid out here is, is different than a candidacy of, a, of an individual career, and that's, that's where I thought, like, the, they have the, the, the display for the 72 series, but this yeah. should be something different. And, I, and so I don't know if it, it even, even all this that you've laid out, I don't know if it elevates more to a builder category, but it's really as a player. But it's really the impact that he had, be, that series had beyond just the play. That's where I became and have become conflicted with it because I know how much it meant to me when they scored and when they won. And I remember sitting at, at uh, Christina Lake for game one and they scored two goals in the first six minutes. And I was like, yep. oh, this is just what they said it was going to be. And then they got their ass handed to them and it was 7-3. Yep. When right. you said... Liam, when you said about speaking to people from the Soviet Union on that show, a couple of years ago, the World Championships were in St. Petersburg. And so Gord Miller set up a tour for us. Uh, well, we were going to the Hermitage Museum anyway, which is just, a, just an amazing thing. One of the great things that I've ever had the opportunity to see. Gord set up a guide. We paid for a guide. And so this woman a couple years older than us, took us through. She was a freight train. If we wouldn't have had her, we would still be walking around in there not finding a door out. <laughs> we stopped for a coffee, and the reason I tell this is Gord told her that I was, you know, an ex-player. And so we got to the series. Somehow, in a little conversation at a, in the Hermitage Museum with a coffee, we got to this conversation about the 72 series. And she said, you know, um, when we won the series, I said, what do you mean when you won the series? <laughs> so, so their impression was that they won the series. I'm like, how does that even make sense on any level? And Gordon and I left there. We were laughing. We're like, because there was no chance we were changing her mind. Right. That was not yeah. happening. Yeah, I, 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 first of all, that's an absolutely fantastic story. And, and like most former players, you, especially in your case, Ray, because you've done such a phenomenal job broadcasting. You've been able to continue this and, and, uh, and have, uh, have these opportunities, and now you can regurgitate them to guys like me and others when you do the broadcast, and you do. And you and Gord, and has many others, and you do great jobs. The, the um, couple things is um, uh, I also did something pretty unique. Um, I was hired by McGill University in Montreal uh, 15 years ago when they, they had um, a collection of their alumni hockey teams a three decades worth gathered for a very special reunion. And what they did was uh, they flew over a whole team of uh, Soviet alumni to play the teams in, in each would play a period. Each, each decade would play a Soviet team. It was so cool. Uh, Yvonne Cornway came and, and uh, we, we had a, we had a, we had a fabulous time. And um, who, there was five members from, from the Soviet team from 72 who was there, including 
their captain. Now, almost nobody knows who captained the Soviet team in 72. He has since passed away. His name was Vic. No, it was not Mikhailov. No, it was Victor no. Kuskin, who was a defenseman, was their captain. No, I wouldn't so, have got it. You would have given me 20 guesses. I wouldn't <laughs> have got it. No, I, I, and you know what, Ray, and I don't, and I, I certainly wasn't even saying it for that per se, but I mean, it just surprises people when they say, oh, no, it wasn't Yakushev yeah. or Mikhailov or Petrov or go down the line because, you know, or Vasiliev. I think a lot of people, most you get, they guess Vasiliev, a uh, senior defense back there, such a, such a powerful defenseman that he was, Ragulin and these guys. But, you know, um, I went over with the translator after. By the way, I got to tell you, it was it was pretty freaky trying to do hockey trivia, and then and then the translator after translated. But anyway, they went over there after uh, with the translator and spent about twenty minutes. Those guys and um, Petrov was there, as I said, Kuskin, God rest his soul, and three others. And we went. We we ta- obviously talked exclusively about the series to a man, you know, to a man. I, and, and it's funny where you see. Because we see it here about Paul Henderson. Because people, it's yourself or it's others. You're not alone, obviously. I mean, uh, if, we, if I ran a poll on Twitter right now, it would probably run about 80% in favor. And the, the 20 that would vote against it, they're vehement. Like, they, they, they are absolutely ready to lose their mind if, if Paul ever went in. When I talked to those Russians that day in 2003 at McGill University, they are quite flummoxed that Vladislav Tretyak went in the hall. They're, they they really? really are. I had a Harlemov. They they couldn't believe it. And and uh, and then when I, I pressed them further about Paul Henderson, and uh, they said Kuzkin said to me through the translator, he still to that day he couldn't believe they lost the series. And two, he couldn't believe how Henderson got the winner three games in a row. He said we didn't know like a game seven. Okay, now we just need a tie in game eight. We've got this thing. Mm-hmm. And and the same guy, you kidding? He beats us all in, in game seven roofs it, and then with 34 seconds to go again, like he couldn't believe it. Anyways, that's coming from those guys. And then the final point on that, Ray, and then back to you or Steve, whoever, that, listen, I don't mean it to be about this, and I don't have a problem a lot with what you're saying. I mean, Paul and the team uh, and the, the series, they've been honored at the Hall a couple of different times, including November 10, 2000, which was declared Team Canada 72 day. And I was there that day, and I spent the whole day with those guys. And I've worked, by the way, I've worked with those guys extensively, right, for the last 18 years. I've been, me and Gord Stellick have been pretty much their MCs for almost every event they've had. Now their health is failing, and some have passed, and mm-hmm. it's not, you know, whatever. But yeah. you know what? At that time, uh, when you put in Trechak in 89, and you put in Harlamov in 2003, and now you put in Yakushev, right? How many more? How, how many more from that team are, are going to go in right. before Paul? Do you want Petrov in? You want Mikhailov in? You want you want you know Vasiliev uh, uh, in? Uh, um, do you want the backup goalie in? I mean, who's next? It's, it's, uh, enough, enough. You know, it's 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 time to do the right thing here. This guy scored the most impactful goal in the history of the sport historically. That cannot be disproven. Yeah, nobody will deny that. Out to any single hockey fan that will give me five minutes, I'll spell it out for them. So put that man in that respective sports Hall of Fame, give him his knife before he dies, give him his honor, give him his plaque, and, and what, are people going to stop going to the Hall because Henderson went in? Yeah, Tony right. Ballard, for God's sake. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, 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 time, <laughs> it's time to do the right thing, and it's not about comparisons. And you know what, Ray? If, if Trechak hadn't have gone in in 89, I would have been just this happy-go-lucky kid, you know, drinking Molson X, doing my hockey trivia, writing a couple of books, mm-hmm. traveling the country and meeting hockey people coast to coast, and never said a thing. 
But then you're going to start putting these guys in, which to me diminishes who actually won the thing, how we came back in the most adverse conditions in the history of sports. There's never been a greater comeback in the history of sports than Team Canada 72. They stole our beer, for God's sake. They woke us up in the middle of the night. They stole our ice time. They had to send Rod Bear out there on the ice while, the, while those kids, those school kids were out there, and Rod drilled a few slap shots at their head, and then they got off the ice. You know what? It was, it was an absolute joke, let alone the officiating game eight. You know, you want to go down the line. That one Swedish ref that they both came down with food poison, they haven't seen that guy to this day. He, you know, he's pounding well, salt. Didn't, 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 didn't they haul Ridiculous. in the German ref, Kampala? Kampala and Bader ended up doing the game. The two Swedes yeah. were supposed to do it. If you ever watch the video, you ever see it? Uh, the, the one that's the, the, not, not the three-part miniseries, but the, the actual documentary. And you watch Harry Sinden. You watch him absolutely lose his mind. And of all guys, keeping him under control, the late John Ferguson, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. I said to Fergie many times, <laughs> Fergie, you must have wanted to go on the ice and just started swinging so bad. He said, on the ice, forget about it. I wanted to swing in the boardroom. I'd have swing on half that country. <laughs> but but it's um, you know what Ray? It's just I'm I'm fed up. I'm I'm fed up with yep. the fact that we continue to bend over and anoint these guys. And the last thing, the last thing, I do have to say something else, and this is really important because there isn't one other person that you'll ever talk to on your show who knows this. That uh, Alexander Yakushev played 221 international hockey games. Okay, that's all documented. I'm not making it up. Fifty of those games, fifty, right on the number, five zero. The Soviets won by scores of 10 nothing or more, 16 nothing, 18 nothing, 21 nothing. They beat Italy. Okay? Paul Henderson's playing the Stanley Cup final in 1966 for the Detroit Red Wings, outplaying Gordie Howe, by the way. For the Detroit Red Wings against the Montreal Canadiens, they lost in six games against John Beliveau, Yvon Cornway, Henri Richard, Jacques LaPerriere, Gump Worsley, uh, Hall of Famers, every one of them. What's Yakushev doing? He's helping Russia beat Italy 28-2, to picking up 11 points. Now, are his numbers really great, Ray? I mean, really, who knows that? Who knows that? Not a single friggin' person knows that his numbers, like everybody else in that Soviet Union, were inflated by beating East Germany 18 to nothing, Slovenia 22-1, to and other scores like that. I mean, the level of competition. You of all people, Ray, who scored over 400 goals in the NHL, you know, and, and had a hell of a run with the Islanders in 93, among others, should know that that's got to stand for something. And Henderson played 17 years against some of the best men ever to play. And now we're anointing a guy like Yakushev for his play in 72, the third guy from a losing team. I thought, not, not on my watch, buddy. I'm not going down silently on this one. I love oh, it. I love it. I love it. Love uh, it. Uh, Liam, oh. let's, uh, let's just a couple more before we let you go. We, 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 I'm ready. I was not ready before we talked to you to put Paul in the Hall of Fame, but I'm in. I'm absolutely in. Um, another guy, I, I do like yelling and screaming about Hall of Fame uh, selections and who's in and who's not. A couple that come to mind for me that – one, I'm uh, I'm 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 100 convinced Alexander McGillney should be in, and two, yeah. Chris Osgood, 400 wins and Stanley Cups. But to me, I just don't see a Hall of Famer. Where do you stand on both of those guys? Yeah, well, um, I'm a McGillney supporter, absolutely. Uh, I'm a Theo Fleury supporter. I'm a Steve Larmer supporter. I, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, there's a couple guys I think, who, depending on how again falls under the categories of where you put the weight. 
Let's, for example, if you look at just last year when they did the 100 greatest players of all time, and they yeah. really skewed that towards winning the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And if you go through the list, if you look through the 100 names, there's some guys, and look at I, I bill myself as, as I, you got to hang your hat on something. You know, Ray played in the league over 1,200 games, scored over 400 goals. He's a broadcaster now nationally. What do I hang my hat on? I hang my hat on, I claim that I'm the world's number one NHL historian. So I hang my hat on that. So when they rolled that list out, I perused it very, 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 very carefully. Mm-hmm. And I looked, I said, you know what? I mean, I, I see eight or ten names that just, in my view, they wouldn't have been on my list. And hey, I'm just one guy. That's fine. So you look at Alexander McGillney or you look at Chris Osgood. What weight do you put on today, the statistics compared with the winning and, and their overall body of work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in Osgood's case, Steve, to be honest, uh, probably going to get in at some point in time. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll have to wait as long as Rogi Vachon, but if you want to look uh-huh. at a comparable, look at Rogi Vachon. Uh-huh. And there's a guy whose body of work, his excellence anyway, where he really championed himself as a goaltender, really ran from... The good fortune of making it in Montreal, even though as a diminutive goaltender, he still had to step in and win some big games in his era, and he did. And then he goes to Los Angeles in a somewhat controversial deal in 71, and he's a standout for them. And then he has that Canada Cup in 76, when he ends up being Team Canada's MVP. Bobby Orr was the overall tournament MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rogi Vashon was Team Canada's singular t- MVP. And then he finished his career a little bit later uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. So, but when did he get in? That guy went in a couple of years ago. Yeah. He retired yeah. 35 years ago. So is Oz going to have to wait that long, Steve? Probably not. They're probably going to look at his numbers and his body is working at his Stanley Cups and going to say, you know what, on a comparable basis, he'll probably eventually get in. And I think McGillney will as well because the other thing that's going on now with the Hall and has been happening really for about 10 years is they've really tried to ensure, and look, it, I, I don't know this for a fact. This is just Liam McGuire speculating. But I'm of the belief that if they can, they will induct somebody from that that played their hockey uh, has a child across the pond. Mm-hmm. Someone you know every year, whether it's a Swede, a Finn, a Czech, a Russian, yeah. whatever. They're going. They're going to. It's all about inclusion now. So when they started with the women, it's the same thing. You got a lot of people still that don't like that. You know, they're, they're not happy, but a lot of people. Uh, the majority are, but not every. It's not unilateral. It's not one hundred percent. And and at the same point, you know, you're never going to get probably. Uh, you know, if you ask 10 people, if you went on Twitter right now and said, give me the first 10 names that people think should be in the hall, you'd get a number of different, number of different names. And, and I think McGillney would be ahead of Chris Osgood in that vein. But I do think ultimately at the end of the day, they, they both probably make it. I, I really do. Okay. I really do. Okay, here's something, I, uh, Liam, just last one for me about the hall, and then I want to ask you about your new book coming out. But, okay. Um, it bothers me that a player can get in at this point, okay, it's 2018, that a player can get in from 30 years ago or 20 years ago. Has he been yeah. really good in the alumni games since then? Like either you're in my book, <laughs> you're either you're in or you're out. There should be yeah. a, a time frame, I, I don't know, 10 years if you want, to, yeah. for whatever reason. I don't know why you need 10 years. A guy retires, he's either he's in or he's out. Like to me, yeah. you don't get better. Your, it's like remembering your first girlfriend. You liked her better now than when you dated her because you remember, and you're, you can only remember a little bit of thing from, yeah. from when you were a teenager. Yeah. To me, it makes no sense. I don't know what your view is, but inducting, a, like, either Rogi Vachon was a Hall of Famer or he wasn't. 
But to induct yeah. him 35 years later, to me, just made no sense whatsoever. No, and, and you know, 10 years earlier, they did the same thing with Dick Duff after decades of, mm-hmm. of uh, after his retirement. Obviously, somebody inside, much like, obviously, <coughs> excuse me, um, Igor Larionov would have done the same thing for Yakushev and sat in there and somehow got 13 other people to vote yes, and, and, uh, and, and he got in. Um, you know, regardless of what anybody says, that's that's how the process works. So you go to bat. Look, it's ridiculous. Cooperstown has a limit. They're regarded as the the bastion of Hall of Fame is regarded as Cooperstown. So, you know, I mean, uh, yet the NHL still operates the whole thing like the KGB Cold War from 72, really, to be honest. And, and you know, the, the doctrines and, and the maneuvering that goes on internally as to um, why and how and the wherefores that they, that they nominate people and are voted on and to what extent and all this, that, right, is, uh, is mystifying to some degree. They'll never probably change that. You may remember that up until 2000, and for a period of eight years, from 92 to 2000, they had a veterans uh, wing where, you know, you could go back mm-hmm. and look. And as a committee, you could sit down. A lot of this changed, right? They, they, they changed a lot of this after Gil Stein. The Gil Stein, Bruce McNall tried to put Gil Stein in. It was ill-fated. Now, Gary Batman had just come on the scene. And he shut the whole thing down, and Gill, of course, ended up uh, resigning and, and, and never got in the hall. But they changed a lot of the doctrines, as we're led to believe, as much as that was ever stated publicly, uh, they changed a lot of it at that time. And one of them was, for a period of eight years, you could nominate a guy. Don't forget, you know what, in those days, you could not, anybody, me, anybody, guys, my neighbors across the road could nominate anybody that played. You could write a letter in and say, I'd like to nominate uh, uh, Rogi Basho. You know, and okay, well, we'll take it under consideration. Now it has to, someone from the committee, the selection committee themselves, has to put forth the name. But, uh, you know, in Rogi's case or Dick Duff's case or some of these guys that have gone in decades, look, Ray, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with that stance, 100%. No disagreement there. Put a timeline on it. I don't understand it. However, that's that's the hockey hall of fame. They marched to their own drum. You got a unique scenario there, right? You had Harry Sendon, who's kind of removed himself, but Jim Gregory is still the uh, emeritus in charge. Mm-hmm. His fingerprints are all over every single thing that happens there. And uh, I see John Davidson now is back as the uh, you know as 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 a de facto president, I guess, as a longtime uh, member of the selection committee, and Lanny McDonald taking over for Bill Hay years ago, not years ago, but several years ago. You got you got a really interesting scenario scenario there, Ray, and and I don't I don't see that it's one that's going to change anytime soon. But I'm in full agreement with you. That's how they should handle it. Much like Cooperstown, we're just not going to see it. Okay, so you're not just a Hall of Fame guy, as we've tried to. I I hope people understand because you know so much about that. You love you know you've got other hats in the ring. You're also a multi published author. A few years ago, I'm walking in this mall in Vancouver, it's under construction and I'm getting in the elevator and this guy's in his work clothes and pretty stocky guy, a little older than me. And he says, Hey, how you doing? And I'm like, good. How are you? I, you know, I don't know who he is. And he says, uh, I'm Goldie Goldthorpe. <laughs> and I'm like, like Ogie Oglethorpe, Goldie Goldthorpe. And he says, yes. He shook my hand and it's like a bloody sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, when is your book coming out? <laughs> because I can't even imagine. Like, he, I talked to him for five minutes, and then, you know, he had to go, and I had to go. Yeah. But in the five minutes, 
I walked away from there. It was like a hurricane. And I'm like, what the hell did I just run into? <laughs> so is it coming out, and what are we going to read? Well, it's good. It's going to be released in April, April 13th, uh, 2019. Um, Goldie lives in, lives in Surrey. He works in Vancouver. He's a foreman on a construction site. <laughs> As you say, we're going to run into him. And that really describes pretty much any time anybody runs into him. Uh, He's 65 years old. Believe me, you don't want any part of this guy today. He is still absolutely ripped. He's in the gym all the time, and uh, he is he is one one tough hombre. What people are going to read, uh, as you just stated, right? Um, he is the the he was the impetus behind the character Ogie Oglethorpe for the iconic sports movie, ho- greatest hockey movie of all time. He could make the case greatest sports movie of all time. It's in the discussion. Uh, Slapshot, which came out in 1977. He was not allowed to play the role created for him. Uh, because Paul, the late Paul Newman's brother, Art, um, just deemed him to be too unpredictable and uh, possibly too violent. They were concerned about <laughs> some things on the set with Paul in the vicinity, so they wouldn't let him play the role uh, through the name and the mannerisms and the character and the look and everything that was created for him. He was not allowed to uh, to play it. As a result, you know, he never watched the movie for 12 years. He was one of his um, one of his lifetime disappointments. And, uh, you know, believe me, he took it on about the next eight people that he crossed paths with. But uh, what they're going to read is, I believe anyway, uh, it may seem a little self-serving because I'm the guy writing it, but I, I do believe, I've been around a while, I've met a lot of people, I'm pretty familiar with hockey, obviously, and sports in general. I don't think there's ever been a man who played professional sports that lived the life this guy did and had, had the life that this guy did. He was regarded by some uh, historians, myself included, as the world's most violent athlete. Uh, he, he has the most unique life story in the history of anybody who cast a paycheck to play a professional sport. I, I don't believe there's anybody that could possibly rival it. This isn't a guy that just woke up one day and decided because he had a chance to play high-level hockey that he was going to be a tough guy. This was a guy that had a lifestyle that started basically from the age of six. And you're going to read about that. You're going to read about him being turfed out of his hometown at 14 years of age, a town in northern Ontario that the majority of people have never heard of. It's 250 miles due north of Sault Ste. Marie. It's called Horn Tang. It's a railway town. His dad was a World War II hero. He was, uh, he was a prisoner of war for 599 days and then led an escape in France, daring escape in France. He was a part of a, one of the first ever commando units. He was six foot, two hundred and thirty pounds. So uh, he, he, Goldie, Goldie was shot. He was stabbed. He was arrested <laughs> over forty-five times. He was incarcerated nineteen, all for egregious, aggressive assaults, as in response to uh, sticking up for men, women, and children and animals. Uh, he's an immediate nine one one. He just before he had dialed a number, he's there with Superman, let the cape on, and you're going down. And and. Uh, <laughs> The nature of the stories and how they evolve, how his life evolved, I think will be one of the most incredible reads of all time, I believe. But I'll also say this. It ain't going to be for everybody. It's a very violent story. It does have some comedy and some humor because he does have a good sense of humor. And it does detail, I think, a really unique origin as to what makes him tick. I really, I'm really proud of that, to be honest with you guys, that I, I, I've been able to dig into that and meet with him and sit down and get that from him. But I'm really looking forward to people seeing the book, uh, especially if you're a hockey fan at all. And for anybody who's a fan of the movie and knows the character, how he was introduced, how that character was introduced uh, by Jim Carr, the, the character in the movie Slapshot, all those things that were said, they're all true. 
And the, the deportation <laughs> story, uh, uh, story itself, when Goldie was 17, that story itself, Ray, people are going to probably read that 15 times before they read that page. I go, are you kidding me right now? Are you Liam, kidding know, me right the, now? Of all the, all the lines that you know we all have recited over the years, we all know that, you know, his subsequent deportation to Canada, we all yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah. When he's, when he's coming to the, the story. I got the story. And, and, and he was 17 years old when this happened. And when you read it, and when you read what happened and, what, and how this went down over that 24-hour period, you're, you're – I impress in the book every every chapter. Here's how old he is now. Here's like here's how old he is now. Think about that because I have children. You know, you have children. I have a 23 year old son and a 21 year old daughter. I'm, I'm I'm writing about Goldie. I wrote about him at those ages with the things he was doing. That's going. <laughs> it's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. He should not be alive. Like, well, uh. I, but not not only that, Ray. I'll say one other thing. I have talked to guys he fought. I have talked to guys that he played with. I have talked to his former coaches. I phoned a guy. You know something right now, guys? I'm sorry I'm going on too long. But the, the winningest coach in the history of the American Hockey League is still there right now. He's the head coach of the San Jose Barracuda, the farm team of the Sharks. And his name is Roy Summer, S-O-M-M-E-R. He's won over 700 games, and he's coached over 1,300 games in the American Hockey League, and he's been in that organization for 23 years. He played against Golden in 1978-79. I phoned him. I phoned him at his office and talked to him for 20 minutes. And when I, I told him what I was doing, there was dead silence. Dead silence on the other end for about 10 seconds. He says, okay, hold on a second. Like, Is that guy still alive? And I said, yeah, he's still alive. <laughs> and he said, okay, like, he's not mad at me or anything. He's not coming down here to beat the shit out of me or anything. I said, no, no, no he's not. But, and he said, okay, listen, he was insane. And then he proceeded to tell me, and this is from 40 years ago, Ray, 40 years ago. And he played against him. This is the winningest coach in American Hockey League history. And he gave me a gem. He gave me a couple of gems, and I put them in the book. I said, can I quote you? He said, please, absolutely. So I've got all sorts of stuff in there substantiating the stories because I felt it was important for credibility. And then, and then uh, I'll tell you, man, it's, it's writing itself, really. I'm just kind of just trying to organize it. But I can't wait for you guys to see it. It's, uh, it's, well, uh, I really believe in my right heart now. about it. I swear to God, it's going to be a movie. I believe it's going to be a movie. I, I really do. I can tell you, Liam, you've sold two books right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is before it even gets there. Oh, man. You've sold two already. Oh, man. There's only three of us on the air, and you, you've, you already know what's in there. But Steve and I are buying one. I know it. Yes. Uh, right on, guys. Well, I appreciate that. Liam, thanks for your time. Really appreciate the passion. Great stuff. Uh, congrats on the upcoming books and the ones you've done already. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Hey, listen, it was totally my pleasure. Call any time, and uh, Ray, I'm sure we'll message on Twitter, but uh, thanks very much for having me, guys. It's a real honor. Awesome, Liam. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for your time, man. All right, Razor. Take care, buddy. Yeah, I'm, I'm in on, I'm all in, Ray, on, on Paul Henderson to the Hall of Fame. Thanks to Liam McGuire for coming on. What a what a sales job that was. And, and you can see what he's talking about, but he, I, I guess what I don't think, you know, like, uh, of about the Russian players in particular is you put them at a level because they're part of my childhood. Like that mm-hmm. series was, and yeah. you know, and the things in your childhood always mean so much to you, mm-hmm. the memories that you take because they're, they're formative for you. And so those players that are in, 
like when he told me that the Russian players were surprised Tretiak was in, I was like, yeah, really? Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm like, like what? That, yeah. that surprised me. But I, I get what he's saying about Henderson and his impact. I think, as I said, that's almost like a builder's category to me. What he mm-hmm. did helped build the game. Mm-hmm. It helped build the international yep. game that we're all familiar with now. But um, he is just um, what? he is just a fireball of energy, knowledge. You know, we didn't have time, but we could have asked him almost any trivia question yeah. you could think of, yeah. and he'd know it. Yeah, I had I had a few queued up, but yeah, we just ran out of time. Um, one thing but about, I am buying the book. Oh, I yeah, am buying the yeah. book. One thing about the 72 series, and, and I mean, Paul certainly was at a great series, but before the – if you put the WHA guys on that team, if they're eligible to play, maybe yeah. Paul Anderson doesn't even make the team. Oh, I never. You know what? That would have been a great question to think of. I, because, I, well, I thought about it, but Bobby he was on Hull? a. Roll. Hey, I thought about it, but he was on such a roll. I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but because Bobby Hull, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tons of guys. There. I mean, I'd have to go through the. Because yep. two years later, if for those that don't remember, the WHA put together uh, a team, um, and they played the Russians yep. as well. Yep. And they lost the series, but that was in 1974. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, but uh, yeah, good stuff, man. Yeah, good, good guess, right? Good get. Um, yeah, he was he was outstanding. Yeah, for sure. All right, we covered some things in the beginning of the show. A few more things, uh, Ray. You saw the New Jersey Devils uh, last week a couple of times. Wasn't their best, was it? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> <coughs> you get, me. You're getting choked up over, over the Devils. I'm all choked up about it. I, I just. <laughs> I'm just eating rape. It's killing me. <laughs> the bloody grape. I think I'm going to be okay. Uh, I mean, it's okay, right? The devils will turn the corner. It's okay, man. It's they're, all right. are going to be okay. Yeah. It's not that bad. Right, right. Schneider will get his game back. Don't worry about it. We're, we're, okay, okay, I'm back. Okay. I don't know which game was worse that I watched. Yeah. No. Toronto beat New Jersey in Toronto or the Los Angeles Kings last night. Losing to Toronto. This is Wednesday yeah. now. Yep. So they played them on Tuesday. That game in Toronto, the Devils couldn't get to the puck. They couldn't break it out. They couldn't pass it. Their defense was porous. And, like, Toronto had a field day. That, that you know, yeah. that was, you know, the Devils, their defense is really what I look at. I look at two positions for them. Their defense is not a great defense. They don't move the puck particularly well. They're not physical. And I, I think you've got to be one or the other. But in today's game, you've really got to be able to, to move the puck. Yep. And they don't, they don't move it especially well. The second spot for them is their number two centerman. Uh, they thought it was going to be Pavel Zaka, their first-round pick from a couple of years ago, and he just hasn't scored. Mm-hmm. And so that's great. You've got a third- and fourth-line center, but they already got that. And Travis Zajac doesn't go fast enough to be a number two anymore. So what was a playoff team last year really looks like it was a one and off. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they're going to need they're going to need more players to be a perennial playoff team. Yeah. And then the LA game last night, by the time Tavares scored to make it two nothing, six and a half minutes in on two power play goals, mm-hmm. that game was over. And two, two like, easy power play goals, two, like, oh, oh we got this, right? Like, yeah. Finished. Yeah. They couldn't keep up. They, their style of play is all wrong. Like, they're still playing a style that worked six years ago. And if you watch them, they come up in a group of five. They never stretch the ice. Mm-hmm. So the, 
Toronto's defense was way up, stagger, or you know, standing up at the red line. So LA would carry the puck up. It's like running into a traffic yeah. jam. There was nowhere to go, yeah. and it's slow, and it doesn't. It's non-threatening at all. They scored to make it two-one, and a lot of times I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to get interesting. I didn't think that for a second. Yeah, yeah, you're just like, okay, whatever. They, they, it was uh, that was over. Yeah. Now they made a trade today. They traded Tanner Pearson, who's been quite disappointing for them. I think. I think people need to realize here, this looks to me anyway, when that deal went through, they traded him to Pittsburgh, uh, two years mm-hmm. left at about $3.25 million. Uh, They traded him for Carl Hagelin, who's an unrestricted free yeah. agent yeah. at the end of the year. And to me, this is the start of as big an implosion as they can make on that roster as they can. Yeah, because I was gonna, this trade makes no sense. Just even though they're struggling, even though Pearson's struggling, yeah. he's four years younger. He's got two. Like he doesn't make any, so. Yeah, you're just thinking this is we've got to start. Like yeah, we got to cleave this roster as clean as we can. Mm-hmm. Pearson doesn't go very fast, mm-hmm. and he hasn't scored very much. And so maybe they're viewing him as yeah, he's younger. However. He's not going to get any faster, and our team is already slow enough. Yep. Uh, so that's what I see sort of starting. Um, you know, they hired Willie Desjardins as the coach. Uh, he's not, get, in my mind, he's not the coach next year. Right. Like right. I, this is just to get through the rest of the year, and then they'll make whatever coaching hire they make in the offseason. Like you mentioned last night, Strom is sort of set up for <laughs> that, you know? Um, yeah. Um, um, Marco Sturm. Yeah, Sturm, Sturm would yeah. be the guy. Just, yeah, Sturm just – actually, that was his first day yesterday. Yeah, yeah. He came from Germany, and he must have really enjoyed watching <laughs> he's, that. He's got to be like, oh, yeah, hey, when's the next flight back to Germany? Um, okay, uh, a couple more things before we take some questions. Uh, well, James Neal in Calgary right now played a, a season low the other night for them, uh, not fitting in that well, not working out. He's on the third line. Um, people who, who kind of know James Neal over the years are sort of insinuating in the media, from what I gather, Ray, he's going to start being grouchy and griping, and he's not going to be a happy guy to be around. And, of course, he was the big UFA signing by the Flames. Right. He's, um, he's kind of a gruff guy, you know, around the rink anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just his demeanor. And, yeah. and I can say that because that's, I was a grumpy guy around the rink anyway. But it's just kind of the way you are. Not playing, yep. or playing eight to ten minutes a night, that's going to go over like a lead balloon mm-hmm. for him. And this is where you'll start to see there's going to be some pushback internally because, as you mentioned, Steve, they just signed him to a free agent contract. So they committed a lot of money for a lot of years to him. And he's playing eight minutes a game. And the coach is saying, that's because he's not doing anything. And the manager is <laughs> saying, I just signed him. <laughs> yeah, and so you've got a, a little bit of an issue going on. Um, uh, well, I'm not saying that there is an issue yet, but there will be. If this continues you know, on, there will be. You you brought up last show or the show before guys who drive the play, guys who make things happen, guys who drive the play. And I got to see Neil a lot last year here in Vegas, and he had a good season. But I never felt like, Ray, he drove the play. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was good. He finished some chances off. But I, oftentimes I'd be like, oh, yeah, he was just kind of there and he got the rebound. That's how he plays. Yeah. Yep. He's know? a good shooter. Mm-hmm. He's a finisher. He's like, um, it, you know, I, I used to be a, a big NBA fan mm-hmm. when the Lakers and the Celtics were yep. bashing each other's heads in all the time. And one of the first really good three-point shooters when they first – put the three-point line in was Chris Ford. 
who went on to have a long coaching career. Yeah. So Ford would, they'd run up the court, you know, they'd break out or break down the court, and Ford would go stand in the corner just outside the three-point line. He'd just stand there. <laughs> and they'd run the offense and eventually get it, you know, on occasion over to him, yeah. and boom, he'd yeah. hammer the three. That's like that's a spot up shooter. Mm-hmm. That's what James Neal is. He's just he's a, yeah. he's a shooter. Yeah. He committed a lot of money. I think in thinking that he was going to be a, maybe the guy to play with Goudreau and Monahan. Mm-hmm. Well, then they got Elias Lindholm, and oh wait a minute, James Neal's not that guy anymore. And then it hasn't worked with Michael Backlund, and now he's on the third line, and then he went to the four. You know, like yep. Once you tumble out of that spot, it's harder and harder to score. And I think Calgary's finding a, a tough fit with Neil right now. Yeah, absolutely. Be interesting to keep our eyes on that one. Uh, NHL game of the day for Ray Ferraro. I tweeted this out uh, November 14th, 1991. Uh, Derek King scores late to give the Islanders, your Islanders, a win over the Devils. You are one goal, one assist, plus three on the night. A great game of the day. And you fight with Kevin Todd. Amazing. Gordy Alhatrick. I'm, I'm thinking that's the only one I ever had. <laughs> I, like I, I, I mean, I didn't have many options yep. to have them. Yep. Because I wasn't going to fight very much. Right. Was, but but when go. I saw that, I'm like, dude, when you tweeted that out, I'm like, there can't be many more of those. <laughs> like none. And you had it too. So I will take. I will take November. Well, I had lots of days. I think where I had a goal and an assist. Yeah. Very few days. Yep. That I had a fight. Even less where I would have had the goal and the assist on the same day as the yeah. fight. So I will take November fourteenth, and I will I will chalk that up as one very good day. And you got a roughing penalty, and uh, Flatley and Hogue uh, got the assist on your goal, and you got the assist on Hoagie's goal with Flatley assisting also. So. <laughs> yeah, see, so that was that was the start of where we started to play, obviously a yeah. lot together. But yep. man, I must have gotten the bad traffic on yeah. the way to the rink. Yeah, what the hell was exactly. I doing? All right, some Twitter questions, and we got an email question as well. Dustin Williams says, "Did Ray have to wear the infamous Burger King third jersey when he was traded to L.A.?" Yep, absolutely I did. It was uh, as comical as it looked. (laughs) And uh, we played a game in Vancouver. And Vancouver had these salmon-colored jerseys. Oh, I don't remember that. As their third jersey. So they came out onto the ice. And we decided, players on both teams, that this was the worst uniformed game (laughs) in NHL history. Uh, It was like like a rec league. The uniforms were junk. uh, Wayne Gretzky had to wear the Burger King jersey, and I just want to get those photos out of my mind. No, he didn't. Yeah, I think he did. I think I there's think a. He, I think oh, there's a photo. I think it was just our year. I think there's a I Gretzky. It was just our year when they brought those bloody things out, Steve. We were like, "What the hell?" Okay, so I was going to ask and, you. Yeah, so the players knew this is ridiculous. Well, yeah, but here's the other thing. So our colors were black and silver then. Mm-hmm. These were purple and. I don't know, whatever else color, gray, purple and gray and whatever. Anyway, our gloves and our pants and our helmet didn't match. Yeah. And so back then, they just brought the jerseys and saw Nobody quite figured out that, oh, crap, it's going to look terrible. So now when the teams, of course, wear a third jersey, everybody gets the right gloves and helmets. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that way back. Oh, then. that was a, that was a terrible era. They got the blue. They got the note for the St. Louis Blues. The blue note. Uh, the the Bruins just had like a bare face. It was a very ugly era. Okay, that years. one <laughs> legend is that they took the logo 
from a golf course that Harry Sinden played at in Florida, and that became <laughs> the Bruins logo. We called them the Winnie the Pooh logo. Uh, um, Byron Defoe, who I had played with in Los Angeles, yeah. um, he was a goalie in Boston by that time. And he came out for warm-up, and I, I remember saying to him, Bizey, look at yourself. <laughs> look at what you're wearing. Look at the mirror, buddy. You know, uh, all right. those are some bad jerseys. Uh, Jay Eaton says, keeping on the arena theme for Ray, we know Ray, uh, I says most everything, but I think didn't like most everything about Atlanta, but how was playing in a new Phillips arena? From a player's perspective, did they screw that up as well? The Phillips arena. Um, okay, so, of course, this has nothing to do with the team, but mm. opening day or opening game, we finish our morning skate. We have a home game that night. And um, as we're walking out after the morning skate, we walked by like the Atlanta Hawks room where that was. And then we we're walking on the way to the parking garage and there's this big staircase inside the rink. I don't know where it went to mm-hmm. or where it came from, whatever. Yep. It's just, it's like down coming down to the floor level and there's water pouring down these steps. <laughs> and there's a bunch of guys looking around a blueprint trying to find the shutoff. That should have been a sign that this was not going to be. Uh, Very good. Uh, but the arena was great. No, I mean the arena was great. Um, it, it, as it as the you know as the question says, it was yeah. brand new. So yeah. you know that was all really cool. There were lots of little things what? like you know when you move into a new house, you move into it, and then pretty soon you're like, oh, that doesn't work. And Did, yeah, even though it's new, that thing's not quite right. So like, there's a few of those. Was, sure. Were your hockey locker rooms like obviously it was built for the Hawks, right? Uh, no, no, it wasn't. No, the hockey locker rooms were no, they were. The hockey locker rooms were awesome. Okay, so they, but, well, what I was going to say was they didn't build the hockey. Uh, the hockey locker rooms were built specifically for hockey at that time. Like it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It no, it, there was nothing like it wasn't like it was a shoehorned in. Sure. That's what I meant. Right. Yep. One, th- one thing that did happen, one of the first few games, a uh, pane of glass broke. It took them forever to find a replacement glass. <laughs> right. Right. And, and again, it, you know, it was a brand new building and they must have been running around like. Oh God! Where are these little pieces of glass? Because yeah. we got the big ones. We can't <laughs> the big ones in the little. It was it was a mess. I I went to one game. Leafs Thrashers. I was in Atlanta for a race, and they played on Sunday afternoon. The Leafs did, and uh, I got tickets on the blue line, like easy, no problem, of course. Uh, and oh, yeah. I, wasn't there a wasn't one side stacked with boxes only? Yep. Right. They built it. Um, yeah. In, in theory, a lot like a NASCAR track, ah, okay. where Shocker. all the um, yeah, but but all the boxes are on one side of the ring. Right, it was weird. And, yeah, and so for them, it was also their thought was that so all the facilities, like you know the the kitchens, and you, mm-hmm. you're serving all the same food to the boxes. It's all together. Yeah, okay. It kind of made sense. Yeah, but it never. I mean, it never caught on. Right. You know, now they, you know, they want. Uh, you know, they ring the arena with the boxes so they can keep them low. And although mm-hmm. I will say when I go to a rink, I don't want to sit down by the glass. Yeah. I, to yeah. me, the best yeah. seat is first row of the second deck. Yep. And that's my, that's my favorite spot to sit. Uh, Matt B says when Ray was a player, what did you like to do on non-playing days in visiting cities outside of team practice um, and team activities? Did you do any? Yeah. Usually a lot of times we'd get in. So, Say we got a game on a Tuesday, we get into City at 4 o'clock, usually the night before. And uh, so by the time you get there, it takes you an hour to get sorted out once you get to the hotel and figure out where everybody's going for dinner. We go for dinner. Uh, it's not, I wasn't, 
I wasn't exploring culture. Put it that so way. So Dougie I mean, Hamilton was going to museums, apparently, and this was not you. Yeah, well, yeah, but no, that's fine. <laughs> right. You can go to a museum. I, I didn't. I know. Um, I um, I didn't. I went for dinner with the guys and mm. came back to my room and I don't know, watched a movie or and nothing. I, I guess in theory you should have seen more. Yeah. But a lot of times you're so bloody tired. The last thing you're going to do is go walk around some more. Yeah. So you get in, you eat dinner, watch a movie, go to bed. Yeah. You know, get up the next day and play, and then you leave. One thing you can do in St. Louis is go to the Arch, and there's a gambling boat down there. I guess. Did you guys ever do that? Yeah. I mean, once in, yeah, once yeah. in a while, you know, like if you could to go, yeah. you know, like I like to play blackjack, so I'd go to. Uh, you know, go to a casino if there was some available. I've been to the ones in St. Louis. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, went over to, you know, would go over to Windsor when we were in Detroit. But it, again, yep. I'm not going because it's getting late. I mean, we got to play the next day and I'm tired. <laughs> uh, Eric Hafner says the Nassau Coliseum, another arena question. The Nassau Coliseum was infamous for their lack of quality facilities, especially towards the end. How was the building from a player's perspective, the condition of the locker rooms, training rooms, etc.? Oh, the training rooms and locker rooms were junk. I mean, they were old, yep. right? And they were small, and they weren't they weren't getting rebuilt, right? Nobody had any money that, that was going to go ahead and rebuild an arena, right? Like that wasn't going to yep. happen. From the playing part, though, one of my favorite rinks to play. In. Mm-hmm. It was small and compact, and the fans hung on top of you. It was it was a great place to play. I I loved it. Yep. I, I, I the ice was good. Um, the, you know, everything about, you know, it was well lit. Yeah. Um, sometimes the rinks are lit a little bit funny, uh, at least for me. And so you would feel a little bit uncomfortable, but, uh, not, not there. I, I loved playing at the Coliseum. Uh, Jared Brown says Phil Housley or Larry Murphy. I guess it's just an either or question, Ray. I'll take Housley. Um, whew, good one. Larry Murphy was better than people think. Um, I, I mean, for you got, again, for what era? I'd take Phil Housley for today's game mm-hmm. because he, you know, he could skate so much better than Larry. But man, Larry Murphy could move the puck. Man, he could run a power play. You know, he could uh, put up enormous points. I mean, you're talking; both guys are in the Hall of Fame. It's you know, yeah, yeah, I can't go wrong with so either one. I, I would take Housley for today's game. Uh, question from email from Mark. Uh, hey Ray, I love the podcast. Thanks for doing theirs. There's no one in the game whose opinion he respects more than you. Uh, Thank you. He grew up a huge Canucks fan. He loved Marcus Naslin. He was 14 when Naslin retired. He doesn't remember a ton about him, but he was a great goal scorer and a very humble person on and off the ice. Can you share your thoughts on Marcus Naslin and maybe remind me while I fell in love with him as a six-year-old? Uh, thanks, Mark. Um, I would say Naslin, uh, his memory of, of him being uh, classy, yeah, 100%. Of being humble, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Uh, he had a really understated way to play. Like most Swedes, um, he was a very nice guy. Um, Gord Miller and I play this game. Who's the worst Swede? You know, <laughs> and um, and really, we we can't seem to come up with it. Yeah, um, you know, they're just they're just good. People. I know a bunch I too. Like I know a bunch too. They're yeah. awesome. Yep. And uh, I would say um, uh, at, at his time, you know. There wasn't anybody scoring goals with the regularity and consistency of Marcus Naslin. Their line with Brendan Morrison yeah. and uh, Todd Bertuzzi, the West Coast Express, was the best line in the league at that time. How about that trade from Pittsburgh? How about that one? Was that Craig Patrick? Yeah, that, Who was that? 
Uh, I think so for Alex Stoyanov. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, all right. Um, all right, Ray. Anything else? Any other, any I don't think so. I, okay. I got that grape out of my throat. I'm yeah. talking better. I, you know, I know people were concerned that I might have died. Yeah. No, I'm back. I'm, I'm ready. I feel oh, good. wait. One last one. This one's actually pretty good. Uh, how do commercial timeouts from Kyle? How do commercial timeouts affect the momentum of a game, if at all? Oh, they do. For, well, they do because yep. everything stops. Yep. And you stand around and nothing goes on. You watch the people come out and shovel the snow off the ice. And you wait. And then the... A lot of times the shoveling stuff is done way quicker, and they still got to wait for TV. Mm-hmm. So you're still standing around. Have you? So yeah it, yeah, it kills momentum for sure. But um, if anyone or any of the players are really going to complain about it, they should look at their paychecks yeah. and realize that the reason that there is a commercial timeout is because um, somebody's got to pay them. But 100, percent you've noticed momentum swings either way, and when those breaks come. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Because you just, as I said, it just all stops. Right. Everything. Right. right. Interesting. It's almost interesting to think of a strategy like that a little bit if you're a coach or whatever. You know, obviously you put your, depending on where the faceoff is, you, you know, you put your number one out guys or whatever. Yeah, lots of strategy. Well, well, what about, yeah. what about a team, what about a, in football though? It's the same for anything. Mm-hmm. Because in football, a team scores a touchdown and they're, you know, they probably want to, you know, they, they've got the upper hand here and then stop. Yeah. Kick the extra point. Commercial kickoff. Commercial. Oh, yeah, there you go. There's no momentum anymore. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, hey, thanks everybody for submitting questions via email and via Twitter for for Ray Ferraro uh, at Paul Pocky. Don't hit Ray up because he he gets eight million uh, uh, replies every day. So just send them our way, and we'll we'll make sure we get them asked. Thanks to Liam McGuire for coming on, and Ray. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for making the time for us. You betcha. Everybody have a great week, and um, keep getting your questions in and. Um, we love getting them and let us know what you like and what you'd like to hear or if you got some ideas for maybe some guests that we might not think of mm-hmm. we've got a list of guys that we're going to work through but um, let us know and we'll see what we can do I'm off to Paris everybody thanks for listening I'm off to Paris tomorrow by the way for four days oh. yay yay for me could be worse places but it's still a, a, what is it a nine hour flight yeah yep. yeah <laughs> nine hour flight get over there upside down do the do the show Turn around, come back. How was Paris? I don't know. Exactly. I'll be exactly the way it'll be. All right, right. Thanks, man. Later.